Hello and welcome to PodPod. I'm Rihanna Dillon. We're a podcast who likes to interrogate other podcasters about their podcasts. And this week we're joined by a very difficult guest to book, Mike Munzer of the Evolution of Horror podcast, who is incidentally (laughs) my husband. Full disclosure, we had a guest drop out (laughs) very last minute, which I'm sure it must have happened to most of you listening. So instead of panicking, we just went with the literal closest person who was sitting next to me on the sofa. We're not afraid of nepotism on PodPod. (laughs) I promise we're not going to make a habit of this. But to be honest, Mike has been podcasting for the last six years or so. And I think I've mentioned it a few times on PodPod that his sole career is now podcasting. He's managed to make a career out of something that was just his hobby. We want to talk to him about that. Mm. We want to talk about how he uses Patreon to continue this career. But before we talk to Mike, I want to introduce regular contributors, Rima Kari and Adam Shepard. Hello. 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 Welcome back. Thank you so much. It's nice Mm. to be back. I know it's quite a nice episode to ease me in actually, just just (laughs) chatting to the man that I talk to every day. Um, But yeah, how have you guys been? What's been going on? Well, in the world of podcasting, there has been a substantial amount of money flying around this week. The Fellas Studio, uh, which has close relationships with Spotify, has this week received a £1.5 million investment to expand its video podcast studio and to do more video content. Now, The Fellas is one of the sort of new breed of creator-led podcast brands, effectively, alongside groups like the Sidemen, who incidentally were contributors to the 1.5 million investment round. They've been producing video content on YouTube for a long time, have branched out into podcasts and are really leading the charge on podcasts as a multi-platform branding exercise, essentially. So this is a really interesting example of the impact that multi-platform video podcasting is going to have going forward. That is interesting. Just before we get on to Mike Ream, you asked me about if I've been binge listening to any podcasts and I have a new recommendation for you. This is... Who shat on the floor at my wedding? I, yes, we were discussing this, this in the office the Literally, other day. Literally, I have. Okay. I, I, opened, I was doing a news article and I opened Chartable and usually I look at it for reference and then the first podcast I saw was that and I'm like, wow, that is a name. But then it's like we were saying in the office that it's kind of like it's the same sort of attention grabbing name as like my dad wrote a porno. And it, you're immediately yes, yes. going to click on it. It's brilliant. And I love that it's like my dad wrote a porno, just so literal. <laughs> it is literally like, it's it's a true crime comedy podcast that is very much real life of an English couple who had their wedding on a boat and their friend who is acting as the detective. But it's just hysterical. I really, it's so funny. I would really recommend it. It's just very different and stupid. I mean, it's a classic lot. Locked door mystery, right? Yeah, yes, it is. They're on a boat. Who did it? It's only a finite number of guests. It's brilliant. <laughs> do you think they're going to find the culprit? Is the question. I don't know if they do, but it kind of doesn't matter because I'm just here for the ride, you know? Glass onion. <laughs> 
cruise edition. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I had to stop eating my lunch because I was listening to them describe it oh, in no. really quite extreme detail. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that is Who Shat on the Floor at My Wedding, available on all podcast platforms. <laughs> so let's get into our chat with Mike. Speaking of weddings. Yeah, no one shat on the floor at mine, thank goodness. Although this would have been a great way to take advantage of it. <laughs> yeah, so Mike is, as producer Emma keeps referring to him, break glass in case of emergency podcast guest. And we had to use him this week. But also he is just a great interview which is really nice. Mm. So here he is, Mike Monster of the Evolution of Horror podcast, talking to me and Adam. Coming live from the room right next to mine, it is my husband, Mike Monster. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is weird. It is so weird. <laughs> Do you know what's weirder is that it's always you introducing me on your podcast. And you're like, yeah, please welcome yeah. Rihanna Dillon. And I'm like, why are you saying my full name? It's so strange. And now I'm doing it to you. <laughs> I know. It's nice to be on the other side of it for once. <laughs> the turns have indeed tabled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So obviously you do the Evolution of Horror podcast. I say obviously, it's obvious to me because it's basically my life <laughs> as much as yours. But for people who don't know, tell us about the Evolution of Horror yeah, so it's a weekly film discussion podcast, really, but it kind of looks at film history. So obviously it focuses on the horror genre. I'm a huge horror movie fan. I always have been my whole life. And I basically started the podcast as a way to kind of take horror seriously, I suppose. And the aim of the podcast is to kind of look back at the, the history of the genre and kind of appreciate it for... Uh, what it's done for cinema, really. So each week I'm joined by a different guest in the horror community. They could be critics, much like yourself, or they could be podcasters or journalists or just general film fans. And they will join me to talk about a different horror movie each week. And that will, across a series, kind of tell a chronological story of the way in which a particular area of horror, whether it's vampire movies or monster movies, how they have evolved over time. I've kind of talked quite a lot on Pod Pod before about the fact that you've sort of made your hobby your career. This is your full-time job. And I know that you get a bit embarrassed about when you have to introduce yourself to people and to say what your work is and you just, just say that you're a podcaster. I hate it. Yeah. You are. That's I know, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. tell us about that then. Tell us about the uh, the jump from it being your hobby to your career and how long it took you to come to that decision. Yeah. So my day job for years was I worked in television production, video production, and, you know, I was a, a producer at the BBC. That was how me and Rihanna met, right? We were both at the BBC together. I worked on film review shows and things like that. And I kind of, I did that for years and years and I was freelance. So I was always doing like different little gigs around it. And I was always a little bit frustrated again, even in the world of television, that film programs weren't really taken seriously. There weren't many kind of film review shows on the BBC. I grew up watching, you know, Barry Norman and Mark Cousins and all of these great people introducing me to cinema and to films that I had never seen and wouldn't come across otherwise. And I don't feel like that really exists anymore on television. So I found it a bit frustrating working in production stuff and finding that there was nowhere for that. So I decided to start something of my own and it felt like podcasts had become the place for that, you know, film reviews, film discussions, film history, anything within the arts. It feels like podcasts are the place now for that. I decided to just do it on the side of my day job. I started my own podcast for absolutely zero money. You know, I've made it from 
my bedroom with, you know, guests that I was able to rope in. (laughs) And because I had a bit of production experience and a bit of editing experience in my day job, obviously I used that as a kind of launching pad and sort of started it from there. It started in 2017 and it sort of slowly grew in numbers. And by about early 2019, so I'd been doing the podcast about two years, I decided to start a Patreon and I thought, well, what harm can it do? And I said, chuck me a fiver a month and I will try and give you like a bonus episode or two every month. And I thought, even if two or three people give me a fiver a month. That's going to give me about 20 quid. That's going to at least maybe pay back some of the costs of, you know, batteries or whatever it might be that I need to make my Mm -hmm. podcast, right? (laughs) So I did that and I thought, let's just see what happens. And that kind of, to my surprise, really did start to really grow quite fast. By about 2021, so we were in the midst of COVID, I was working at the BBC, working on something called Inside Cinema. And I was doing the podcast and the Patreon at the same time. And I got to a point where I was like, ah, the Patreon is actually making me more money per month than my day job. Like all of a sudden it had got to that point kind of slowly, it kind of snuck up on me. It never spiked, but it kind of gradually grew month by month, you know? So yeah, that was kind of a real shock but it's still a little bit scary. It was still like, I can't rely on that for a career, right? Something about that felt a bit scary to me to kind of quit everything and just do that. But then I kind of didn't really have a choice because the following year in early 2022, the BBC Inside Cinema, the production that I'd been working on for three years got decommissioned, it got cancelled. So that just stopped. And usually that that does happen on everything I've worked on, you know, shows end and productions end and I will kind of go on the job hunt and look for something else. But I thought, well, do you know what? Let's see. This is a good excuse for me to just see how things go and see if I can just do Patreon for a bit, just do the podcast full time. That started in early 2022 and touch wood, it's been going well. I haven't had to do anything else since. So it's been about a year, a year and a half that I have just been doing the podcast through Patreon full time. Mm. It's slightly strange to hear you talk about that you have this perception of Patreon revenue as like less reliable, yeah. Uh, especially from like a creative production background, which famously the most stable career in the world. <laughs> I know, <laughs> definitely no last minute cancellations there. I know. Do you know what? You're absolutely right. Like it, it doesn't make any sense because I was thinking about this as well before before we recorded this today. I was thinking, you know, in my head, this feels like a scary, unstable thing because I'm relying on a handful of however many hundred people. It's 1,200 patrons now-ish, right? So I'm relying on basically 1,200 people for my livelihood, to pay my mortgage, to pay my bills, right? And that sounds scary. But then actually thinking about it, and you both know how this feels, like when you're self-employed or you work in the media, you work in creative industries, you're always relying on a handful of potentially unreliable people per month to give you work or give you gigs or give you some money for something, right? So yeah, like in some ways, Mm. this has been the most stable full-time income I've had over the last year, like out of any job I've ever done. So yeah, it's true. I don't really know why I'm worried about it, but there's something about it, obviously, that you're relying on optional donations from members of the public. It can be both scary, but it's also very exciting and it kind of gives you that impetus to want to never let them down to keep your A game up, you know? Mm. Let's talk a little bit about that Patreon content then. Can you talk us through what you offer as part of your Patreon platform and the sort of various tiers? Mm. Because it started at 
five pounds for a couple of bonus podcasts. Is that still the case or is that kind of scaled up now that it's a full-time gig? Yeah, it's scaled up, but but essentially the fiver per month that will get you, let's say, two episodes per month, that has stayed the same and that's always been the case since I started it. At some point, maybe after a year or so of having the Patreon, I introduced a £10 tier and I said, if you pay me a tenner a month, you will get four episodes per month, i.e. a new episode every single week, basically 52 episodes a year oh, wow. on top of the main podcast, which at the time meant that took up a lot of my time because essentially that meant that I had a day job and I was producing basically two full-time podcasts at the same time, right? I was going to say that's quad tripled your workload. Yeah, it literally did. You really, yeah, I didn't really think about that at the time when I kind of <laughs> signed up for that. But it, but it's paid off, right? So yeah, there's a five pound tier, and then there's a ten pound tier, which gets you access to even more stuff, and it's slightly more exclusive stuff, and it's slightly more produced stuff. I'll have like these little like mini seasons that run and that kind of thing. So it feels a bit more like you're getting slightly more like special content, I suppose. And then if people want to, there is a there's a bottom tier of just three pounds which doesn't get you any of that extra content. It will just support the making of the podcast. And I mention your name on the main podcast as a thank you. That's it. And then for for people that are able to, there's a higher tier that's a £20 tier. And for that, you basically get all the same stuff, except that you also get named a kind of sponsor of the podcast. Ah, nice. All it means is that that particular person who can write in and write me a message and I will read it on the podcast. So they'll get a little dedicated segment in the middle of an episode and they might want to plug their own podcast, their blog, whatever it might be, their Etsy page or something, or they might just want to send me a funny message or dedicate an episode to a loved one or whatever it might be. So essentially for £20, they can write me a message and I will read it on the main podcast. Podcast and kind of name them as the sponsor for that week. Those are the four tiers, really. And the most popular ones are those middle two. I think I have, just having a look at the stats now. So currently, I've got 350 people paying the fiver a month, and I've got 830 people paying the tenner a month. So that one, where you get an extra episode every single week, essentially making a whole new podcast, that's the most popular one, which is what's made the difference. Yeah. Mm. It's quite refreshing to have actual numbers, isn't it? for a change when people are normally so cagey about it. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. Let's just all be transparent about this stuff, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Just to quickly pick up on, you know, you were sort of talking about the difference between if you're just a freelancer and you're kind of enthralled to whoever's employing you versus your listeners. Obviously, you kind of have to do what your employers say. How does that work when it's your listeners who are paying? Do you try and take on board what they want as much as possible? Or do you just you have your own path that you follow and if they want to add stuff they can but it's not necessarily something that you're gonna always build on i think that's the fun of patreon is that i guess you feel a bit like you're in a kind of exclusive community where people can talk directly to me they can message me with ideas and i will often post you know post things saying what would you like to hear discussed this month anything it can be anything sometimes people are like i'd love to hear something that isn't horror why don't you talk about your favorite musicals or <laughs> let's talk about the oscars that happened last week or you know whatever it might be it's a good excuse to branch out and not do something that is always 
quote unquote on brand, right? So the, the main podcast is, is always going to be quite structured and quite historical in terms of the structure and the way I kind of lay it out. Whereas, yeah, Patreon, it can be much more fast and loose and informal. And I think people like that. It feels a bit more like you can be involved. There's a bit more back and forth. So people will suggest to me certain topics and then I will record them. And then I think that gives people more impetus to kind of stay on and keep keep supporting the podcast because they feel like they get to hear what they want to hear. Also, it just mixes it up for me a bit as well. In some ways, it's less planning and thinking for me because I could just be like, right, I'll have a look through all the comments and messages and be like, what do people want to hear this week? Oh, people want to hear what I thought of the new Black Mirror season. Let's just record a quick episode on Black Mirror. And it's just a bit easier in that regard. So it's, it's really nice. So on that topic then, obviously, when you're doing a podcast kind of in your free time, it's exciting. It's a hobby. Now that it's, well, your job, does it feel more like work? Has it taken any of the shine off it? To be honest, no. And like, this is the thing that I always tell people about, and you must, I know you guys must have spoken about this a lot with podcasts, is that the main piece of advice I give to people about podcasts is that you've kind of got to love it in order to do it, right? I think that if I didn't absolutely love doing this, then I would have got really bored or sick of it by now, but I, I still don't because I would still choose to spend the majority of my free time, Rihanna knows this, watching horror films, talking about horror films with people in the pub, talking about horror films with people <laughs> at home, going to the cinema, whatever it might be. That is my life. That is my personality. Where do you strike that balance when you are kind of curating something that is for everybody that you know, Patreon has no impact on versus these specific tiers. Do you find that you put more effort into something if you know you're going to get paid for it? Or do you try and love all your children equally? Yeah, that is interesting. I think it's maybe more the other way around. And I don't want this to sound like I care less about the people that are paying me because that's not <laughs> the case. But I think it goes back to the idea that Patreon content is bonus content. It's extra stuff, right? So I, for me, the podcast is the thing that I channel my energy into making feel polished and produced and as well put together as possible. And then I do obviously always want to make every Patreon episode sound as good as possible, but I think partly like what I was saying earlier about it feeling a little bit more like you're in a kind of slightly more informal personal community. I think it's it can be a little bit faster and looser, and I think it can be a bit less polished, and people quite like that. It's kind of endearing. Yeah, I think sometimes I won't edit out as many fumbles or something goes wrong and we'll start laughing because something's gone wrong. That would be something I would maybe cut from the main podcast, but I would keep in to Patreon. Because again, I think there is that feeling of... It's almost like giving people a little exclusive look behind the curtain or something. I don't know. Like I feel like it can be a little bit more relaxed as long as the, the quality of the conversation and the actual podcast episode is still good. I think that the production side can be a little bit more relaxed. And I, I think, I might be wrong, but I think people quite enjoy that element of it. Yeah, that's, that's certainly something that has been quite a common thread when speaking about kind of Patreon content and to a certain extent podcasts in general, mm. you know, that, that sense of being in the room, it adds that authenticity that, that people generally tend to respond quite well to. Definitely. And I think like, again, on the main podcast, I take horror seriously. I'm kind of like discussing these kind of weird little hidden gems in a very kind of reverent way in a way, you know, uh, and I think on, again, on Patreon, there's an opportunity to actually have some fun with some of the more 
rubbish films out there as well like you know <laughs> the things that i wouldn't necessarily spend a lot of time on on the main podcast but for a laugh we will discuss hellraiser part eight in space or leprechaun, <laughs> the leprechaun movies yeah <laughs> yes. leprechaun in the Jesus. hood so much of my life leprechaun yeah. in the hood and there are <laughs> as much as i always say horror needs to be taken seriously there are a lot of bad ones as much as there are hidden gems right and i think patreon also <laughs> people really enjoy hearing discussions where we are all in disbelief at how bad certain films are and it's funny and it's irreverent and it's a different kind of tone and vibe yeah would you classify neil breen as horror yeah well probably yeah that there is a similar kind of level there isn't there yeah exactly so as much as i love to talk about the good stuff that i can celebrate i think patreon has has given me room to also be like let's let's look at some like bargain bin stinkers this month kind of thing you know and it's fun (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about the community as a sort of entity how has it evolved since you first started the Patreon? So it is one of those things that, that that's the thing that I never could have foreseen when starting a podcast is that it really has created such an incredible community of people. And I don't know if this is, I think this is something maybe specific to horror particularly, you know, like it's one of those niche areas. I guess it's similar when you have like, I don't know, Star Trek fandom it's one of those like cult areas where people don't just like it, they love it, right? They're not fair weather horror fans. They live and breathe horror, right? And that, I don't know, for whatever reason, that was something that hadn't occurred to me until I started the podcast and I tapped into this community of people. Suddenly I was, the podcast had only been going a few weeks and I realized that I was getting quite a lot of engagement, I suppose, on social media, people writing in and telling me what they're enjoying, what they would like to hear covered, that was happening more and more. And then within the first few months or within the first sort of six months, let's say, of the podcast existing, uh, a Facebook group was was launched as well, the Evolution of Horror Discussion Group, where listeners of the podcast had created this group where they could just talk about horror, they could talk about the podcast. I think there's about 5,000 people in that group now. And that has just kind of like existed without me really like I am now a a sort of moderator on that group but it's really run exclusively by other people and again the podcast was young at this point it had maybe been going about a year and people within that Facebook group organized a meetup they said anyone in the group that's in or around London let's all meet up and and I went along to it and I couldn't believe I mean it was the most weird thing ever but there was just this big group of people all on the south bank in London all just hanging out and talking about horror and the podcast was what they all had in common basically and I met a lot of people there some people are now some of my best friends some people have actually been been on the podcast since as well. Oh, nice. So it's become this amazing kind of little community of people that I've gotten to know and they've all gotten to know each other. There is there have been some couples that have gotten together. Like we know a couple of people, we've met a couple of people <laughs> who have met through the podcast, through the discussion group and have since, you know, gotten together and are living together and all of this kind of thing. So well, Steve and Joe were at our wedding. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the other thing is that I have met some of my absolute best friends through this podcast as well. So yeah, uh, some of them came to our wedding. Like, uh, so it's been, it's been amazing. That is one element of it. I could never have foreseen that it, it actually has become, because sometimes you think of podcasting in a way as something a little bit 
antisocial. Like you will sit in, in a room or in a studio and talk and talk to one other person, maybe or interview people. But the fact that it has created this whole world of incredible people and social events and other things has been, yeah, it's been amazing. And do you think that those same people who started this Facebook group have always been so intrinsic in building that community? Do you think it's still the same people or has that kind of changed over the years? I think some of them are still the same people for sure. Yeah. And then I I think probably some people might have dropped away or dipped in and out of the podcast. This is the other lovely thing about a podcast, right? Especially a podcast that isn't tapping into something current. Like it's a kind of evergreen podcast in a way, because I'm talking about movies from the 1930s or whatever. Like it's not, it's not like a weekly new release review podcast or anything. And like the seasonal nature of it kind of lends itself to that quite well, I would imagine. Exactly. It's in little seasons. And and so I will always, almost on a daily basis, hear from people that have said, oh, I've just discovered the podcast and I'm starting from episode one or whatever. So oh, yeah. it's always, and again, touch wood, this will keep happening, that p- new people will discover it. So with the sort of fans that have been with it from the beginning and then new fans that are trickling in day by day, it's hopefully a community that will keep growing. When did the community start to feel like its own entity? That was definitely one of those points when they all started organising meetups together. There are offshoot groups now as well. I've seen on Facebook, there's like an Evolution of Horror Midlands group and an Evolution of Horror Scotland group. And they kind of plug regional sort of horror events and screenings and festivals that are happening there or, you know, organised meetups and that kind of thing. So it definitely, I would say after a year or two, that started feeling like it took on a life of its own. And I think, again, I try and maintain that as much as possible, that feeling. It's the same as the Patreon. Like, I want it to feel like an open space where people feel like they can Mm. almost engage in conversations as well as listen to conversations on the podcast, you know, and I always have different guests. I always try and introduce new voices every season. I don't just have the same four or five people. I've probably had over a hundred people on the podcast now by this point. And, and I try and always introduce new people. And some of them are well-respected critics. I've had people like, you know, Mark Kermode and Kim Newman and, you know, BBC critics like Rihanna Dillon on the podcast. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then I've also had just people that are like, just they've never done anything like that, but they are just like really know their stuff. And I've met them through various events and I've heard them talk and I'm like, you're amazing. You should just come on and join me for an episode of the podcast. So that has been an element that's been really special. I think kind of like keeping lots and lots of new voices and feeling like it's kind of open to anyone in that regard. On PodPod, I'm really noticing a pattern with quite a few of the people that we've spoken to or a lot of the podcasts that we've covered that so many of either their guests or presenters are white men. And if they are white men, that's traditionally who they then speak to. That's who they have on as guests as well. So how do you think the fact that you do have a range of people from different ethnicities, you have people on from around the world, and you have a lot of women on your podcast, how do you think that that has impacted your listenership? Do you think that's reflected in your listenership? Or do you think that you still have a majority white man kind of audience? I think... It's probably still a majority white male audience. I would say that when I go to events and go to meetups, I would say maybe about 60% of them are men, usually white, in their 
30s, 40s, 50s, I would say, right? That's the majority. However, there's a good 40% that are women. And and so that is like not a bad percentage for something like this, right? It's still something that I could improve on. It's still something that could be better, but I think it's pretty good. And I do always try. And again, it's still something that I think I could be better at, especially with getting more people of color and more diverse voices on. But in terms of the ratio of men to women, it's almost 50-50 now at this point. And I think that is something that has helped. And people have said to me that that's been something that they have really liked compared to other horror podcasts. There are so many other horror podcasts and so many other film podcasts, right? Let's be honest, that are just two or three white dudes who are mates and sitting around talking about movies and horror. I think people have the, probably the assumption that most horror fans look like Rob Zombie or something, right? (laughs) They're a white man. They might not be that hygienic. They've got a beard. They've got tattoos. They wear a black t-shirt with a um, a heavy metal band (laughs) written on it. Right. And they have kind of like ripped black jeans and you know, that kind of thing. That's how I imagine a lot of people think about, what most horror fans look like. And I don't look like that, right? For one thing. And I have a lot of people on my (laughs) podcast that do not look and sound like that. There's a lot of women, a lot of academics, loads and loads of queer voices as well, actually. And Mm. we've had, you know, trans guests, and then we've had people of color and international people from around the world as well. The thing I really hate, right, is when fandoms become kind of gatekeepery. And I think the joy of um, Mm. horror is that it kind of celebrates being an outsider or it celebrates being able to accept anyone. And so I hope that by having these different voices, it it makes people feel like anyone's welcome to kind of enjoy horror or appreciate horror in that way. Because there's so much intersectionality in horror in particular. Yeah, and it's outside of what I do. I think there have been a lot of great horror journalists and horror outlets over the last decade that have kind of really uh, made it more of an inclusive place for women. You know, there are people like Anna Bogutskaya who does stuff like the Final Girls podcast and and there are loads of other great people and outlets out there that have kind of made horror a little bit more inclusive. And I think it's silly these days to just try and make horror feel like a kind of nerdy boys club, you know, like the fun of it is bringing in all these different people from different walks of life. And these people that look like the friendliest people in the world, and they are, right? And Rihanna can attest to this, like some of the people Mm -hmm. that I have become good friends with, they're the (laughs) sweetest, loveliest people in the world who just happen to like some of the most messed up films available, you know? Well, it's so funny because both of our parents, especially both of our mums at our wedding, were like, oh, who's that table of people? Because they didn't recognise them, they didn't know them. And we were like, oh, that's Mike's Evolution of Horror Lot. And they were like, oh my God, they're they're so friendly, they're so lovely. They don't look at all how I thought they would. (laughs) And and it is that like archaic view of horror fans and also podcast there was a lot of podcast jokes made at our wedding as well when they're in the speeches yeah 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 yeah. Mm. yeah exactly and this wedding speech is brought to you by squarespace <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly it's so funny yeah, yeah you're so right about that and we because we had a whole table at our wedding again it's just testament to how many amazing people i've met through the podcast but we had a whole table at the wedding of just evolution of horror people right like guests that come on the podcast regularly that have all become such best friends and yeah i loved that my 72 year old catholic mother who was like they're all far too smiley and handsome to be horror fans aren't they (laughs) (laughs) love that backhanded compliment you grew up with your mum like you're smiley and handsome i know right exactly (laughs) 
<laughs> so on that note then, you guys are a bit of a sort of broadcasting power couple. Do you find that it's helpful being married to a fellow podcaster or do you end up sort of fighting over who gets to record what when? <laughs> I think, yeah, that that is definitely something we have to discuss sometimes, isn't it? It's like, are you recording today? Oh, okay, I'll try and move. Like, yeah, yeah that that does tend to happen. But obviously, like... Rihanna does the more important stuff. You do BBC radio and you do stuff like Pod Pod. I'm doing my weird yeah. little hobby turned job that I can be, <laughs> yeah. because I run it entirely myself, I can be a bit more flexible with yeah. it and move it around, thank God. So it doesn't cause too many problems, yeah. does it, I would say. I normally win. Yeah. I would normally win that that conversation. But like, for example, now my internet is screwed because yeah. we're recording at the same time, not far away from each other. So yeah, I think we do need to be really quite on it with that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I tell you what, it does, I find, because before we started dating, we have both been out with people who were not in similar industries at all and found that quite difficult when we were in this world where with media and film, a lot of late nights and a lot of socializing and London and, and it was just very different. And I think once we met each other and we realized that actually we both understood exactly what it was like, it made mm-hmm. such a huge difference. Well, it did for me. And yeah. that, I, so I think genuinely, and now I can just talk to Mike, we have a shorthand because we know the same people. We work with the same people. I work with Anna Bogutskaya as mm. well as Mike mm. always does as well. And she's like the third person in our marriage. It's great. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's really nice. I love that. Yeah, agreed. I think it's really nice to be with somebody who understands the weird working hours, the weird working days. We, the two of us don't have any such thing as a a weekend and weekday really do we because no. you're on radio six music every monday which means that you're usually working all day sunday doing prep for that i'm doing mm. podcasting whenever my guests can do so often it's evening sometimes it's late night if i'm recording with someone in the us or it's early morning if i'm recording with someone in australia or something so i'm at the complete kind of behest of other people and i have that flexibility so yeah it's kind of great that we both get that mm. isn't it i think and we both can support each other in that speaking of the flexibility that you need to have. We've spoken to quite a few podcasters, people like Mr. Baldwin, for example, who started as one-man bands and then felt that they had reached a point where they needed to expand their operation and bring more people in to support them and kind of grow the podcast more. Is that something that you'd ever consider doing with Evolution of Horror? Yeah, I think so. At the moment, like five days a week is enough time for me to record, book guests, plan, prep and edit all myself. Like I I essentially kind of am able to sort of divide up my week where I will go, right, on Monday, I'll do some planning, some prep, some research, watch the films. On Tuesday, I will record an episode on Patreon and an episode on the main podcast. On Wednesday, I will spend all day editing the Patreon. On Thursday, I'll spend all day editing the main podcast. Friday, everything gets published and social posts and whatever else. Like that's not, it doesn't ever actually work out that way, but I have enough time (laughs) across a week technically to do everything myself. It works on paper. It works on paper, right? So yeah, I'm able to touch wood at the moment, kind of do it alone, but absolutely. Like there have been certain things that I've done as offshoots of the podcast. So for example, we've recently started doing 
evolution of horror presents which are like these screening events that we now do around the country and i do screenings at indie cinemas in london like the regent street cinema and the genesis cinema and then i also do a sort of partnered with picture house the chain and we have been hosting screenings of kind of classic horror movies at picture house cinemas around the country so i've been to sort of bath and reading and brighton and i'm going to manchester and york and liverpool and edinburgh and other places later this year and it's really fun and that is kind of hosting screenings of movies that are usually celebrating anniversaries so the kind of old classics we will screen the film and then we will maybe do like a live on stage podcast discussion of the film afterwards that's been really fun. For that, I've got a regular guest of the pod. She's experienced in kind of event planning and that kind of thing. So she is kind of helping me and dealing with all of the event stuff for the cinema events. Mm. So she will be the one emailing people and getting stuff organized and slotted in. And then she'll come with me and do the events with me. So I have a few people now in the kind of like stuff that I do outside of the podcast who help me with bits and pieces. On Patreon, I do this thing called Fresh Blood, which is like, it is more of like a review strand. So it's it's a monthly one-off thing. At the beginning of every month, we will do a much more traditional magazine show style. Here are all of the new things you can watch this month in the world of horror. New films that are out on Shudder and Netflix and new things in cinemas. And we'll also talk about video games and books and anything that's new releases. For that, I've got a team of four people and they have to do a lot for that. It means they have to watch loads of films, TV shows, read books sometimes, play video games. So that's much more of a commitment of their time. So for that, I pay them. So those three people, I pay them a couple of hundred quid per month to commit to that, where they will bring me kind of mm. new reviews every month. And I just host it and anchor it. And I'm able to let them do all of that stuff. So there's like a couple of things outside of the podcast now that I've started doing where I've started like being able to kind of hire people. But the podcast itself is still entirely me at this stage. Yeah. So just on the subject of the screenings, which is something I wanted to come to, actually, mm. I think that's quite interesting because I know there's a number of other film podcasters particularly, so the likes of Bibliotech with Michael Leader and Jake Cunningham, who I believe have been on yes. Evolution of Horror themselves. They do hosted screening events. They have. They're both both very good friends and, and, and colleagues of mine. And yeah, we've done lots of stuff together. But But yes, they're doing a lot of screening events and that kind of thing at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. So how big a role do those screening events play as part of your revenue strategy? Sadly, not a lot. <laughs> so I have found that they have made me very, I'm going to be again, again, completely transparent about this. They've made me very, very little money. So <laughs> essentially we will partner with a cinema and we will basically split the box office profits 50, 50 with them. So the cinema venue will organize licensing the film, getting the print, whatever that entails, selling tickets, putting the whole thing mm. on. We will host it and plug it on the podcast and everything. And then after that, after expenses, they give us the profit breakdown and we split it 50-50. That usually, if it's an event that happens outside of London, so I will have to pay for my own transport, often accommodation, I'll have to stay overnight. Mm. 
I will just about maybe break even. Like the box office profits oh, will wow. just about pay for my hotel and my travel, right? And so it's a bit better in London. I'll make a little bit of money in London because there is no accommodation to travel. <laughs> and you never know. What I'm hoping is a little bit like with Patreon, a little bit like with the podcast, is that that might grow into something that's going to get me a revenue eventually. But I think as with all things related to a podcast, you can't go into it thinking it's straight away going to make you money because it doesn't. Like most of the time you have to put in quite a lot of time and effort and then you're lucky if you end up breaking even. But if you put the time in, it might eventually pay off, right? And these screenings that I've been doing, this is a very new thing. I've only been doing it in the last year. So at the moment, it's just a great chance to get myself out there, get the name of the podcast out there a bit more. Because I find that screenings are a really good way of kind of targeting two different demographics. Because we'll often find that Mm. a good percentage of the audience are podcast fans and they've come to meet other listeners of the podcast or to meet me and my guests. But then also there are a bunch of people that are just wanted to come and see Halloween in the cinema, you know, because uh, it's a good opportunity to see a classic movie on the big screen and they will come along and then they will be like, oh, it's hosted by this guy from this podcast and we'll plug the podcast and we'll do a live podcast at the end, obviously. And hopefully that will bring in some fans as well. So at the moment, I'm just seeing it as a good opportunity to get out there and promote the podcast and expand the community and meet more people and get myself out there a little bit more. And it's really fun. I just really enjoy it because again, it's something that isn't sitting in a room recording by yourself. It's going out, watching movies, hanging out with people. So it's making me next to no money, Adam, to be honest. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's fine. It's like a it's like a fun extra thing on the side at the moment. Just doing it for the love of the game. Completely, yeah, yeah. You know, you listen to so many American podcasts and you listen to a lot of other film podcasts. Are there any sort of strategies that you've taken from elsewhere, from other podcasts that you're a fan of that you either have already built into Evolution of Horror or that you're hoping to build into in the future? Yeah, so I always say that there's like two or three podcasts that I kind of used as my main inspiration for mine. And one of them is like, a, a classic film review podcast like Empire or Kermode and Mayo, like those kind of two or three people talking about movies and, you know, talking about them in a really in-depth way. So it's kind of part that. Then I would say the other big inspiration is a kind of film history podcast like You Must Remember This, Karina Longworth's You Must Remember This, who mm. really kind of an in-depth historical look at the history of cinema. And it takes Hollywood history seriously and it does it across little seasons, right? Different seasons that look at a different element of Hollywood. And, you know, whether that's kind of, there's an amazing series on Charles Manson and Hollywood in the 1960s, right? There's an amazing series on Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. There's a series on 1930s cinema. There's a series on at the moment about erotic movies of the early 90s, like the kind of basic instinct. It's this incredible film history podcast. Karina Longworth tells it almost like an audiobook. So it's a one person podcast where she will just give you this kind of history lesson and tell it like a story. I loved that. And so I really wanted to incorporate a bit of that into my podcast as well. I've structured it in a way that kind of breaks the horror genre down and its history by different seasons, different themes. I would always begin each episode with a little intro, which is just me and it's scripted and it gives a bit of background historical context before we get into the film discussion. Those two are kind of big ones. And then another big one that I've always been a fan of is a podcast called The Faculty of Horror, which is a Canadian podcast. And it's been going a long time now. I think it started in 2011 or 2012. 
and it's two women two feminist academic horror fans essentially and it was really the first podcast i ever heard that took horror seriously and spoke about it in a real academic way as well and it was such an amazing podcast so smart and smart but also accessible so i guess like i i always say to people like i take those three kind of formats the kind of academia of faculty of horror the kind of review informal chatty review style of empire and the kind of history lesson of you must remember this and kind of blend them all so those are sort of my big inspirations i would say Hopefully not the length of Empire. <laughs> no, I've never done anything close to their, you know, whatever it is, 10 hours on Mission Impossible or whatever it is they do. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the future, because you're um, doing a podcast masterclass and you're sort of expanding into slightly different areas. So what's kind of been at the forefront of why you're doing these extra things and what have you wanted to go into that's maybe a little bit different from the evolution of horror? that we expect to see yeah i think that's the other great thing right is that as a freelancer like we were talking about getting work the podcast has inadvertently led to other jobs so i've been asked to come and do you know introductions to movies at the bfi for example or to host q a's on stage or me and again we've mentioned her already but anna bogutskaya who hosts the final girls podcast the two of us have been asked to host and produce promotional podcasts that go alongside the releases of movies so for example we made a when the new scream movie came out last year we were hired by paramount to make a, a limited five episode podcast series on the scream franchise where we would talk about scream one two three and four in anticipation of scream five coming out there's a lot of that happening now obviously like films will release podcasts as a promotional extra we did the same with the new evil dead film as well this year so so we've kind of i've done these little different offshoots of other podcast jobs that are more corporate, I suppose, but just kind of different gigs on the side. I've also been asked to do a couple of lectures, like guest lecturing at universities about film studies or about journalism. And again, all horror specific. So that's been really nice. So again, like it's led to these other opportunities. And that's really nice because it just, again, it feels like particularly that kind of stuff feels a bit like you're helping people. And that's a nice thing to do as well, because as much as entertainment is important and we all need entertainment and we all need the creative arts... It, it also doesn't necessarily feel like I'm doing much good for the world by sitting talking about horror movies. So, <laughs> so at least like teaching people something helps. And I do think there have been a lot of, I don't necessarily want to toot my own horn about this, but I do think that maybe since mine, there have been a lot of new horror podcasts that people have started. And people have often come to me and mm. asked for advice on how to create a podcast and how do you make a successful mm -hmm. horror podcast and that kind of thing. So yeah, so I've started doing other things like I'm doing an, like this weekend as we're recording this, I'm hosting an online podcasting masterclass, just tips of like how to start a successful podcast from scratch, grassroots, not a production company funded one, but one that anyone can make with next to no money that might eventually, you know, become something. So it's nice to be able to do that as like a, an extra thing now. Yeah. The evolution of podcasts, as it were. Yes. The, I might take that, Adam. I might take that as the title of my workshop. Feel yeah. free. <laughs> By all means. Yeah. 
So for people listening who are perhaps in that position where they have their own podcast, but they want to branch out into Patreon, or perhaps they feel that their Patreon isn't picking up in the way that they would hope it would, what advice would you give for them to kind of focus on when it comes to their Patreon in those sort of early days of really trying to make it as good as possible without compromising the podcast? I think regularity is good, right? So don't commit Mm. to telling patrons that you're going to give them a new episode every month if you can't actually do that. Like stick to what you promise. And actually on that note, don't overpromise, right? Like that's another thing. (laughs) Oh my God, like Rihanna will remember this, but when I started the podcast initially and I didn't think people were going to, I didn't expect anyone to actually sign up. I said that for every person that would sign up at a fiver a month, I would send them an Evolution of Horror sticker. sticker. And I would write on the back a little handwritten note that said, thank you for being a patron and post it to them. And I ended up with over a thousand people signing up, right? So I was like, oh my God, this is... And also the cost of the the time spent in writing a message on the back of a sticker and then paying for postage to actually send just a sticker in an envelope, that almost like negated the point of earning money on Patreon. So I had to get rid of that eventually, but just don't... So don't overpromise is the big thing I would say. And set yourself realistic expectations and then stick to them. I think regularity is with, with podcasts and with Patreon is such an important thing. And then if you can, make it an open dialogue with the people that support you. Let them feel like they're having a say in what they're getting on Patreon. Whatever your podcast is, ask them if there's something that they want to hear more of or if they'd like to hear discussed or do a mailbag live stream where like you just answer questions and chat to them. Like Anything like that where they feel like they're getting something a little bit exclusive and special is, I think, the best way to get people involved in Patreon from my experience. I'm slightly more invested in this answer than maybe Adam is, but um, <laughs> what do you see the future of... <laughs> <laughs> the podcast, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, in terms of time, money, input, output. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what happens when you want to start a family? Yeah. <laughs> oh no! I've got to be really careful how I answer this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Really. Maybe witnessing our first live on-air divorce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I love. I would love it to be one day as bigger an outlet as something like empire i suppose like i guess like my ultimate aim would be for it to almost run itself you know like to be able to afford to hire people to do different elements of it to branch out to different kind of offshoots of the podcast almost to like have a network of podcast at at this point Mm. i've met so many amazing people and worked with so many amazing people from critics to writers to actors and journalists and filmmakers and artists graphic designers and composers and all these amazing people and i just keep being like the producer in me is like i want to use all of these people to make my own (laughs) empire right like that's that's what i want to do and um, empire in which way (laughs) oh yeah i meant like an empire empire (laughs) 
not like Chris Hewitt's Empire. So I want to make my own world of of the evolution of horror that will have um, a magazine, that will have a YouTube channel, mm. that will have live events, that will have spin-off podcasts, that will have, mm. you know, whatever else and have different people run it for me. A card game? Yeah, exactly. A card. Yeah, exactly. That's another thing. This is exclusive, but we're working on a game, like a card game, essentially. Really? Because, again, like I've discovered, I think there's quite a lot of crossover between horror fans and gamers and like board game fans. Mm. And I've got a friend who is a very, very talented gamer and he's really got a real brain for it. And he said to me, like, I've got this idea for a game that you could do like based on the podcast. And we've been working on it and hopefully that's going to launch on Kickstarter soon. But yeah, like all of these kind of things as like extras that can kind of, you know, not to sound like an awful corporate type, but anything that can like expand the brand, I suppose, and like make it more of a thing is important. Absolutely. I mean, if Goalhanger can launch the rest is history, politics, yes. money, shopping, whatever exactly. else, there's no reason why you can't have the evolution of animation. The evolution of rom-coms. rom-coms. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's the plan. But of course, always at the same time, make lots of time for my wife and my family and everything else at the same time as that. You know? so, yeah. Good answer, good answer. Yeah. Well done. Nice save. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us to talk about the evolution of horror podcast. Not that you really had a choice. Um, you were slightly <laughs> cornered uh, but thank you it's been uh, illuminating thank you so much for having me it's been so much fun so that was Mike from the Evolution of Horror podcast that was a fun interview I really enjoyed it hopefully you did as well I tried to take a bit more of a backseat in that because I did feel like I was like I've, I've asked him all these questions <laughs> I know all these answers but it's, it's excellent insight into uh into a guest that I'm guessing you probably don't have quite so much with uh, with any previous guest. Yeah, yeah, that, I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I've not <laughs> had relations with any previous guests. That, that's for damn sure. Um, <laughs> Reem, just at the end there, we were kind of talking about expanding the podcast and the future and all these different iterations, the evolution of, of etc., the evolution of the evolution of horror. Oh my god, it's getting too <laughs> meta. Um, <laughs> do you do you think that's a sort of viable thing? Because obviously, the point that Mike was making was that this attracts very very niche horror fans. So if you kind of build that brand out, you might be alienating them because you're not talking about the same thing that brought them in in the first place. But do you think that might be a viable model, even if it means bringing in completely new listeners? I think it's important that when you have a podcast format that you've discovered really works and brings in a certain type of audience that you can be willing to expand it into other things later on. So there's two ways that he was saying that he was expanding it, which is one is evolution of multiple different genres. So that's going away from the horror fans and expanding into more different types of movie fans. But that works because the format is still the same. It's still a deep dive. It's still something that other niche audiences will be interested in. And that's going to be a whole bigger audience. And then there's also just taking that brand and expanding it outside of audio. So things like creating the board game or creating live events or just having that name and thinking about it more than just a podcast and just thinking about it as a brand in itself. I think that's the way that you 
could transition yourself from doing something like that's a hobby to actually doing something that's your full-time job to something that's going to give you regular income that's something that's that people are going to associate with you with more than just a podcast Mm, that's true adam any thoughts well the rest is franchise is the Mm. example that i referenced during the interview but actually on reflection i think a better template for this would be the dope black network Mm, because mm -hmm. one of the reasons that evolution of horror has resonated with its its audience so so much and so well is because mike has a deep abiding passion for horror movies Mm. the format works really well i think if you bought in another host who had that same level of passion for, you know, rom-coms or animation or sci-fi or action or whatever it might be, that kind of passion combined with the flexibility of the format that he's landed on for Evolution of Horror absolutely has huge potential to attract that same audience. Horror does have a really, I'm going to say horror has by and large, a more fanatical fan base than a lot of genres, but there are still big communities of fans that have really strong connections to every other genre of, of film out there. And yeah, I, I think there's definitely room to expand that brand. Yeah, it is an interesting one. It's one that it's a conversation that I have a lot with my friends and colleagues about the specific subgenres of not just horror but like you know drama for example you mm. know kind of difficult to make a podcast that's specific about drama because that's so broad and so wide-reaching and covers all manner of sins and i don't think it is niche enough whereas something like the evolution of horror hits that sweet spot of being about horror which is huge but also niche enough because not everybody does love it so when people do get a chance to talk about it they really go to town Mm. so yeah it's an interesting kind of intersection like you were saying i'll just say if he ever thinks of doing an evolution of reality shows or reality (laughs) movies i'd love i'd love to put myself forward um to host that (laughs) that's really good to know i don't think mike has watched a single reality show in the last eight years um so you would be perfect well i'm not surprised with having to watch that much horror cinema to keep up with what is a staggering level of output for one man but do you get an insight into my life now that that is just (laughs) everything that's on on our tv every time i walk into the living room mike will just be there watching whatever it was <laughs> anyway i think enough about my marriage um <laughs> thank you so much to mike for jumping on so last minute thank you all for listening do get in touch with us if you want to hear from someone specific if you have any thoughts or ideas about pod pod um, you can find out so much more on podpod.com reem especially has written tons on there about everyday news in the podcast world you can sign up to our daily email bulletins. You can follow us on social at PodPod Official and do rate and subscribe wherever you listen because it would really help us. And it's always really nice to get good feedback. Thank you again to Adam and Reem for joining me this week. The podcast is produced by Emma Corsham for Haymarket Business Media. And I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon. And I will see you next week. Bye. Bye.